Welcome to the Anthem Daily Podcast. My name is Bert Alcorn. Today is Tuesday, September 8th. Happy Tuesday. We took yesterday off because it was Labor Day. Hope you enjoyed the long weekend, the extra holiday, the if you live in Ventura, the absolute surface of the sun that we endured over the weekend. And also, if you live in Ventura, the absolute mystery of why it is now overcast and sprinkling and 67 degrees outside my window. So, Welcome to California. Uh, Thank you for listening anyway to the Anthem Daily Podcast. We are right smack dab in the middle of a re-release series that we are doing um, called Come Back Stronger. That was the series we did back at the end of April, beginning of May, trying to answer this question of how do we as followers of Jesus come out of this season? How do we actually um, like come back more resilient, stronger, thriving, flourishing rather than just withering away. Or honestly, what may have characterized many of our postures is just running out the clock and hoping things get back to normal. And sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but there, there is no getting back to normal. There is a and I hate this term, a, a new normal, a, a new version of life shaped by the coronavirus and and everything else that's happened this year, but we're not just going back to the way things were. So how do we actually, as followers of Jesus, embrace this season and partner with God and the work he wants to do in and through us? And and we said that's by becoming resilient disciples who are faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the spirit. And to come back stronger requires partnering with God and the change he wants to do in and through you to quite literally partner with God in the work of sanctification or maturity or in the language of New Testament, transformation. And that transformation to become more like Jesus takes participation and intentionality. It doesn't just happen to you. It requires participation and intentionality. And, and a great starting place is just by saying yes to the work that God wants to do in and through you. So that's where we started this re-release series back now two weeks ago. It's a three-week run here, and that first week was all around how we change. So a building a paradigm for how we actually become more like Jesus. And I said it starts by just saying yes. Um, like, I want to become more like Jesus. I'm willing to put in the work. Remember, grace is opposed to or um, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. So we put in the work. Uh, how do we partner with the Holy Spirit and the work he's doing in us? Starts with saying yes. Uh, but then uh, we kind of build out our triangle. Right in the middle of the triangle is the Holy Spirit fueling everything we do. Without him, we can't, but without us, he won't. Right? That great Augustine quote. So we partner with the Holy Spirit. And then and the three points of that triangle are teaching, community, and practice. So teaching is what's ha- what I do every Sunday or maybe what's happening right now via this podcast. It is intaking new information and having your mind transformed in the language of Romans 12, not conformed to the world, but transformed to the way of Jesus. The other point on that triangle is community. We can't do this alone. There's no such thing as a Christian by themselves. Uh, right? We need community. We need a church community. Uh, we need to be doing this together because community encourages us and it exposes us. And so when we're in a community where we can be truly known and truly loved for who we are, we can actually embrace the real change God wants to do in and through us. And finally, the third point of that triangle was practice. 
practice. We don't change by just learning new information. We actually have to put it into practice. As Jesus talked about all the time, putting things into practice. He asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, not do what I tell you? Another way to think about that verse would be, why do you sit through all these sermons, but don't actually do anything? Why do you read all this Bible and don't actually look more like me? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, not do what I tell you? And so for us, really, that's spurred on a, how do we actually drive the stake deeper into that one? And that really led, once again, this was back in late April and early May. And then we picked up on this again in August when we tried to answer this question, how do we become a non-anxious presence in our city? How do we actually become, like Jesus, a person of peace in a chaotic, confusing, and crazy world? And... One of the ways we answered that question was actually putting practices of Jesus into practice, actually doing them and cultivating a bit of a community rule of life to say, here's what we as a community are going to commit to, to engage in the Holy Spirit and the work he wants to do in and through us and to become a person of peace in our crazy, crazy world. So we have uh, eight episodes, eight practices we're unpacking um, together. And the first was Bible before phone, right? To just simply um, to simply have the practice where we are going to hear from God first before we hear from our email, our text messages, our slacks, our social media, our news, whatever it is. We're going to choose to be shaped first by God in his word so that we can interpret the world around us. The second one was actually parenting your phone. So both phone related, surprise, surprise, parenting your phone. So actually choosing to engage a relationship with the phone where your phone's not the boss, but you are. So it may look like getting up before your phone, going to bed after your phone, having your phone sleep in a different room, all of those things. And then we moved on to the discipline and practice of cultivating a gratitude ritual. So something in our daily life where we are pointing our eyes to who God is and what he has already provided for us and try to grow this muscle of contentment. And then we talked about, and this is where we left off last week on Thursday, talked about limiting news, screen time, and escapist behaviors. So not cutting things out, right? We're, we're trying to be realistic here. We're not monks. But limiting our intake of news, limiting our screen time on our devices, and limiting our escapist behaviors, anywhere from alcohol to Netflix and anywhere in between. Um, and talked about the necessity of actually going to Jesus to fill our rest bucket, if you will, to actually be satisfied in him and to be shaped by him. And then Friday, I, I just really provided a bit of a challenge um, to anyone listening to say, this is all basically useless unless you do something with it. So actually do something with it. And I actually put one of these into practice. So where we are headed today um, is we are picking up the other practices that's going to take us through the rest of the week. So we got Bible before phone, parenting your phone, cultivating gratitude ritual, limiting news, screen time, and escapist behaviors. And today, uh, we are actually heading into a few more practices. It's going to carry us through the week. And so what's ahead this week, if you like uh, me and you like a bit of a road plan, is today we're talking about practicing regular generosity. Then up next is prayer and fasting uh, regularly. Next up is community 
during the week, and then finally Sabbath and church on Sundays. That's where we are headed this week. So today, the episode is all around practicing regular generosity. This may be one of the more important and hostile practices to our way of life. By hostile, I I mean um, it's one of the more disruptive practices we could actually integrate into our life. So disruptive uh, that the stats on Christians who actually give away any part of their income to any kind of nonprofit or not just local church, but any kind of nonprofit is staggeringly low. Um, The last percentages I read, and these may be out of date, is something like 4 to 10% of Christians actually give something away to anywhere. And those Christians who do give to a church give something like 1.5 to 2% of their income. So, very hard right? And even some of you who are listening right now may be thinking about, oh man, he's talking about generosity. I'm going to go ahead and skip this podcast today. Let me just prod you a little bit is these practices that you and your flesh are most prone to skip are probably the ones the Holy Spirit wants to do the greatest work on. And I would bet for many of us, if you live in Western world, if you live in America, even if you live in Southern California in the 21st century, this one probably has the deepest hold on all of us, including myself. This has been a long, long journey of God cultivating a generous heart and generous practices into my personal life and our family life. So before you hit pause and just wait for tomorrow's next podcast, if this is something that maybe you've done battle with, if you something you're resistant to, is this something you're scared of, is this something, whatever, I encourage you to pause the podcast right now hit the pause button, and simply ask the Holy Spirit, is this an area in my life you want to change to look more like Jesus's life? So go ahead and pause right now and ask that question. Ask that question of the Holy Spirit. Pause. Okay, so I hope you actually did pause. Otherwise, that was a very, very short silence there. Um, So actually ask the question of the Holy Spirit and be open to how he might speak to you through this episode, this random podcast episode about generosity. So here's our episode on practicing regular generosity. Well, good morning. Welcome to the Anthem Daily Podcast. I'm Bert Alcorn. Today is Friday, May 8th. Happy Friday, guys. Hope you all are doing really well today. Um, We are in the middle of this series on the Anthem Daily Podcast, all about how to come back from this stronger. And so we kicked off really this podcast with the idea that we want an outlet to to help encourage, provide a, a thought, a scripture, a prayer, maybe an interview, a practice to help us become resilient disciples who are faithful in the face of cultural coercion, who live a vibrant life in the spirit. And for us, as that's been developing over time and we've had some amazing interviews and we've been diving into some amazing stuff together on this 
on this journey together. Um, but it's really come back to this, this moment that we're in right now is how do we actually not waste this time and come back stronger, more mature, thriving, not weaker, more immature and limping. And to do that really requires our transformation. It really requires us not wasting this exile, not wasting this quarantine, but embracing uh, the work God wants to do in us and through us during this time. And and that's going to transform us more into the image of Jesus. And throughout the New Testament, we see transformation takes two things. It takes participation, one, and intentionality, two. So it doesn't happen without you, and it doesn't happen by accident. And so the first step in embracing this kind of transformation is just simply saying yes to God, yes to the work he wants to do in you. Uh, it is partnering with the Holy Spirit and his uh, change and sanctification in your life. And it's embracing this paradigm of change, this kind of triangle uh, that has teaching, community, and practice all at different points on the triangle as a, as a means for how we change, that we're learning new information, being challenged by scripture and the God story. We're doing this together in community. We cannot change alone. We have to do this together. We're meant to live life together. And we, to change, we actually have to change. We have to practice some new things. We have to develop some new habits or some new rules of life, which is where we're at today. Really just unpacking what are some basic foundational and maybe even communal rules of life or spiritual practices or just regular habits and rhythms to build into our life as the trellis uh, to use the, the some of the language of John chapter 15, if we're the branches connected to the vine, vines need a, a trellis to kind of lift it up. And so this is our support structure, our, our way, our means of actually embracing the way of Jesus in our time and our place. And uh, we said these, these habits, these practices, these rules are a bit of a spiritual budget. So in the same way you might budget for your finances, and even in the same way that budget may change over time. If you move houses, if you change jobs, if you have kids, if you're whatever it is, uh, in the same way, there, there's kind of a, a spiritual budget that needs to be constantly tweaked and, and reevaluated in terms of how we think of a rule of life or practices or habits. And so what we are doing right now this week, and it's going to dip into next week, is just putting forward a handful of, of rules for life, a handful of practices uh, that, re- that really, I believe, uh, stand the test of time, first of all, but also that we can embrace in together. And I think we'll we'll will help start to build that trellis for change uh, and really making more space for the work God wants to do in your life and in my life. So where we've been is we started this week with Bible before phone. And I'm not going to really deep dive into any of these. So if you missed any of these, go back and listen to them. But we talked about the practice of Bible before phone. Spend... Uh, your morning reading a psalm and, and five minutes of silence before God before you pick up your phone for the day. But the second we leveled up and we talked about parenting your phone. So your phone is not the boss of you. You're the boss of your phone. And so actually institute some rules and guidelines so that you're not ruled by your phone. You're not a slave to your phone. And third, we talked about cultivating a gratitude ritual, like some sort of regular rhythm to combat uh, anxiety, fear, depression, to even combat um, envy, to combat uh, uh, like a lack of contentment, is to actually cultivate a gratitude ritual and discipline. And yesterday we talked about limiting 
news, screen time, and escapist behaviors. Limiting news, screen time, and escapist behaviors. Now today, the practice that we're talking about is regular generosity, practicing regular generosity. So this comes from just a, a certain value, and it comes from, uh, honestly, what, what I see, what we see in scriptures. We believe God is a generous God, so we start there. Do we all believe the same thing about God? that he is generous towards us. He is generous towards his creation. He is generous in posture, right? One of the most generous of uh, uh, God generous texts that we have is, is John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. He gave his son. He gave a piece of himself. He gave his very son so that we might experience life. We believe God is a generous God. So, we act and give generously, even when it, it stretches us and pulls us. Now, as we read the scriptures, we see evidence of God's generosity everywhere. James says it this way. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And God invites us into following him by living lives filled with generosity all throughout the scriptures that we're made in the image of God and, and this constant movement of change and transformation and sanctification is all about becoming more like the one who created us. And if he's generous, that means a piece of our transformation is becoming generous people as well. And the joy and purpose of generosity is experienced when we align our lives with God and watch him do what he can only do. Jesus is the most generous person Ever. He gave his life so that we might live. And as Christians, we give in turn. We give our time, our talent, our money, our energy joyfully in response to Jesus' generosity towards us to help others meet this generous Jesus. That God has asked us to give intentionally, regularly, and generously so that we might grow our faith and trust in him. And so when we give. We are declaring our desires for a different world. We're declaring our citizenship in a whole different kingdom. We're declaring our desire to steward, not own, everything God has given us according to his purposes. So his desire is to bless his people and then for them to be a blessing to others. And when we say yes to this generosity story, we're joining him in that work. And we give generously because God has first been generous with us. So when we talk about generosity, we start with a biblical worldview that God himself is generous. And as he is calling us to become more like him, this is how he will shape and change us is how we exercise trust and faith in him. And our response or our actions are just a response to his movement towards us. Now, here's the other thing though. Giving and when I say giving, I'm, I'm talking about giving money, but I'm also talking about giving of like your time, of your talents, material possessions. It's, it's like the broad version. But giving is also a means to release something. It is a means of freedom. How many of you guys listening want to be more free? How many of you guys, oh, maybe a better question. How many of you guys want to be slaves? Anyone? I don't think so. If I were in a room, I'd ask for a show of hands. How many of you guys want to be in bondage, enslaved to something or someone? I, I, no one. I, no one wants that. But here's the deal. It is when we hoard, we are in bondage to our money, to our finances. When we hoard our time, we're enslaved to our own calendar. Giving 
of ourselves and of our possessions and money and time is a means of releasing the stronghold that those things have on us, especially finances and material things. Like God knew that his people would become attached to things and in turn worship them instead. This is like the entire story of the Old Testament. So one of the practices as followers of Jesus we need to build into our life is giving regularly so that we are continually put in a position of humility, service, and trust. And so I would even challenge you, if you give time, if you give money, if you maybe tithe to a church, or if you support missionaries or whatever, but you are not in a position of humility, service, and trust to God, you're not giving enough. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. I don't have it in front of me, but I'll paraphrase it. You can go look it up. He has this great quote about giving and charity. And he says, if um, basically if we're, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, basically, if we're giving in a way that does not hamper our lifestyle, we're not giving enough. He said, we should give uh, so much that there are things in life we want to do, but we can't because of our charity. And so we give regularly and sacrificially to continually be put in this position of humility, service, and trust so that he can free us from the grasp of materialism. We take Jesus at his word when Paul quotes him in Acts chapter 20 that says, it is more blessed to give than receive. We take him at his word when he says that, that, that we, we, there's actually more blessing from God when we give than when we get. Uh, John Mark Comer has this amazing quote. I've shared, if you're hanging around Anthem, you, you've heard this quote before, but I'll share it again because it's, it's pretty stinging. It's pretty profound. And he says, quote, if you're not on board with Jesus's view of money, it could be that you, like many Christians in the West, don't actually believe the gospel of the kingdom. The good news that you've always wanted is available to you right where you are through Jesus. Through him, you have access to the Father's loving presence. Nothing, not your income level or stage of life or health or relational status. Nothing is standing between you and the life that is truly life, to quote Jesus. It could be, he goes on to say, you believe another gospel, right? This is language that Paul uses in, in Galatians, that you believe another gospel, another vision of what the good life is and how you obtain it. Let's call it, quote, the gospel of America, end quote. The go- this gospel makes the exact opposite claim. In a nutshell, the more you have, the happier you will be. Now, what he's getting at there is that how we think about and, and process money, in particular, material possessions a little bit less, like more in general, and then just even anything we have, our time, our talents, our energy, whatever, more in general, how we process those things might actually reveal what gospel we believe. So if you're not on board with Jesus's view of money, it could be that you, like many Christians in the West, don't actually believe the gospel of the kingdom of God. You have bought in to a westernized, secularized, uh, 21st century version or distortion of the life of Jesus. Now, here's the reality. When we find Jesus or when he finds us, he fills us to be a blessing to those around us. We're no longer a stopgap. We're no longer a cul-de-sac of um, blessing. We become like a thoroughfare, we, a boulevard of blessing. Right, And the, the generosity that comes from the knowledge of Jesus is the overflow of a life with Jesus. 
There's this beautiful line in the Psalms that says he, he fills, he overflows my cup. He anoints my head with oil and overflows my cup. That even that which what we, we give and our blessing to others comes from the overflow of a life with Jesus. Jesus calls it life abundant in John 10, 10. Paul called it being filled with all the fullness of God in Ephesians 3. And this is how Paul can say something as provocative as this as in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Think about that statement for a second. Compared to knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, I count everything, everything as loss. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ now, I'm not going to say it here because there might be some kids listening, but that word rubbish uh, is a different word for garbage or excrement uh, that is not socially acceptable <laughs> on a church podcast. That's what Paul's saying. That's like, And that's the picture we're supposed to have in our mind. It's like all those things are absolute. You thought I was going to say it, huh? Garbage. Absolute rubbish. Absolute waste. In order that I may gain Christ which means everything dies at the foot of the cross so that we can have Christ. Being with Jesus creates generous disciples because being with Jesus reminds us that everything else pales in comparison to the fullness of knowing Christ. That truth right there, that everything else pales in comparison to knowing the fullness and compares to the fullness of knowing Christ. That truth right there is the pinnacle of generosity right there. Jesus is the ultimate treasure and knowing Jesus, being with him, it changes us. So when we grasp that and actually experience that generosity will become an entirely different thing for us. Generosity will then be what pours out of a life totally consumed by the true treasure of the Christian life, which is Jesus himself. So we have to get that before we get anything. God is a generous God and We're to be like him. And part of our transformation is to be like him. And and giving and generosity is a means of releasing the grasp uh, of materialism that, that is on our lives. But even more than that, it reveals what we actually believe about Jesus. It's one thing to to have an intellectual knowledge that Jesus saved you and we have fire insurance and we're going to heaven and all of that. It's another thing to count everything else as lost just for the sake of knowing him. If Jesus is our ultimate treasure, then everything else comes second, including our calendar, including our checkbook, including the comforts that we chase after in life. Generosity of our entire lives, including our finances, will then be what pours out of a life consumed by the true treasure of Jesus himself. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. What he's doing there is he's saying, if you are serving money, it is your God. And in that worldview, there's no room for another God. In the same way, if you follow Jesus, there's no room in your life for another king. There's one king, and that's Jesus. It's not your credit card or your bank account or your calendar. It's Jesus. So I want to get really practical here. So we just did 15 minutes of theology to get us to this point. 
I don't want to leave you there. I actually want to get practical. There's a couple of things that are really interesting about how we view money. One, one is that we view money as a blessing and a gift from God. Yes, absolutely. But as Randy Alcorn says in his, in his book, no relation, by the way, I wish no relation in his book, money possessions and eternity. He says, whenever God gives you more, when God gives you more money, he says, it's, it's one way to think of it is to say this is a blessing from God. He says it would be just as scriptural to say this is a test from God. So here's the deal. Many of you have gotten stimulus checks from the government. Many of you are still being generously taken care of by your employers. Here, here's the question. Can God trust you with that? Because if he can trust you with a little, he can trust you with a lot. And little and lot, those are very subjective terms. You may make $500,000 a year, but in God's eyes, that's a little compared to what he wants to do with you. You may be making minimum wage, and that is a lot. Can he trust you with what he's giving you? Now, here's a way we can demonstrate some of that trust. Here's the way we can actually meet God in this moment is by thinking about our finances through a biblical lens. So I'm going to give you, this is like the most basic, basic. There's so much more. Dave Ramsey has a lot of great resources. Randy Alcorn has a lot of great resources. There's amazing stuff out there if you want to go deeper. This is like ultra top level. And when you read scripture and think about money, this is like the the baseline starting point. This is not the complicated deep dive we can get into. Is the tithe really a thing? And then we can talk about the Old Testament tithe. And we can talk about how the Old Testament tithe and offerings was actually closer to about 30%. And anytime Jesus would bring up a lot from the Old Testament. He'd amplify its magnification to the point where in the book of Acts, we see people selling and giving away everything. All right. So we, we don't have to get lost in the minutia there, but I want to give you a biblical starting point for how to think about your money. And this is three things right here. Three things. For those of you who need a little guidance in this area or a little bit of refresher, this is a three-step biblical, simple framework for money. First, give 10% give 10% as an act of worship that honors God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 10 says, give of your first fruits and he'll bless the rest. Now, according to Malachi and according to a few other texts in the New Testament, we believe that first fruits goes to the church. That is the, that is the storehouse God has set up to dispense blessing and generosity to his people and to the city and to the nations, to church planting, to whatever. So give 10% first. So I know a lot of this is automated and a lot of this happens online, but imagine you get your paycheck and a lump sum of cash. Imagine your paycheck is $1,000 and your lump sum right off the top, you take 10%, $100 right off the top. You set it aside and say, this is for God. And from a biblical standpoint, yes, it goes to the church, but it's also a little irrelevant where, where that money goes, what, it, what it's for. What, what is more relevant is that you are trusting God with what's left over. He has given you 100% and he's asking from 10% back. And this is for you, really clearly. I want, I want to tell you this really boldly. This is for you. It's not for anybody else. This is a, a, a worship honor moment in your heart towards God. It's a demonstration of trust towards God. It's a recognition that he's given you everything and as he's asking you to live below your means, this is a demonstration that you trust him. 
Now, I don't know if I'm going to go so far to say that if you don't give away your first 10%, you don't actually trust God because that's a sweeping general statement. But I would say it's worth the question. If this is really clearly what God is asking of us and we're really clearly not doing that, where is the disconnect? This has been an important rhythm in the life of Sherry and I. We've said like, this is a baseline for our generosity. We will always pray and look for opportunities to do more. And every year we pray about how much more we can give away and continue living under our means. But this is a baseline. This is like starting point. This is like just rules to play here is that we trust God with everything by giving away the first 10%. Even to the point where like when I get paid, it's the first thing that that triggers in our automatic like withdrawal before rent, before whatever. It's the first thing. And I know it's like more of a symbolic thing because everything is electronic. But even as a posture and a practice, it's like that's our first fruit. And so in the same day, I get the email notification that my paycheck is being direct deposited. I get the same email notification that my money is being donated, being given to the church right away. So it's like a one-to-one right away. Give 10% first. Another biblical principle we have in Proverbs 13, Proverbs 21, save 10%. Create margin in our lives. A a life that actually builds not, not greedy wealth, but like a biblical wealth that creates margin and it avoids debt save 10%. Dave Ramsey has the emergency funds. I mean, uh, kind of philosophy. There's lots of different ways to approach that, but just right off the bat, you give first, you save second. So 10%, save 10%. That save 10%, by the way, is not a biblical number. It's just a, like a wisdom number. Uh, So where giving 10%, that that actually has some scriptural roots. Saving doesn't have like a number attached to it in the Bible. But more you have this idea of like creating margin in your life, creating margin for generosity, margin for wealth, margin for circumstances down the road, margin to avoid debt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a good rule of thumb. Now that leaves us with what? 80%. This is what you live on. Now that sounds simple, but it's actually a really important practice is to cultivate contentment in all things. This is Paul's words. In Philippians chapter four, this is out of Hebrews chapter 13, to cultivate contentment in all things. One of the ways we can do that is by intentionally living on less. If you make 100K a year, you are intentionally living on 80K. That doesn't mean you run out and and get the new car that you've been waiting for or upgrade the house you've been waiting for. God can't trust you with a little. He's not going to trust you with a lot. We are intentionally living on less. And I I would say as a goal, as a financial goal for a follower of Jesus is for that third number to decrease and that first number to increase. Like one of my personal goals is to continue living on less and less and less and giving away more and more and more. I don't know how or why, or I don't know in what circumstance this would actually be possible in Southern California, but I would love an environment where I could give 50% away and live on 50%. That would just be such a, that, that would, for me, it would demonstrate such a radical trust in Jesus. It would demonstrate a radical trust that Jesus has for me to steward finances because to just live very basically would require more than that. But that's a goal. My goal is that I, I can always be giving more and more and more and living on less and less and less because I want to cultivate contentment in all things. Now, that was very practical. It's a simple biblical framework for how to view and handle our money. But here's the reality. You need to hear this. 
God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. He does not need your money. He's not like a deadbeat uncle just looking for a handout. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. But he'll use your money to get to your heart and accomplish his will and his purpose. God doesn't need your money. What I love in in Philippians chapter four is Paul highlights that when the Philippian church is giving, it's not actually like about the thing they're giving to. It's more for their heart. It is a credit to their faith. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart, but he'll use that money to accomplish his will and his purpose here on the earth. So a practice to unclench our hearts from the love and idol of money and finances is to practice regular generosity. In that practical space, run your personal finances through a biblical matrix of give 10% first, save second, live on the rest. And I would add something else. See what God does. We have at our church a 90-day generosity challenge where we basically invite people into that structure for their life and over 90 days to see what God does. And we will boldly say, if God's not blessing you, if he's not creating fruit in your life, not blessing you like making you rich, win the lotto. That's not what we're talking about. It's not prosperity gospel. But if he's not truly blessing you, providing life and life to the full, if he's not, if you don't see his hand and his fruit in your life, stop. It's one of the beautiful things about that Malachi chapter three is this is like a challenge from God. Like test me in this, actually live this out and see what I do. Now, here's the thing. Ever since Sherry and I've been married and even before when it was me on my own and even Sherry on our own, we always gave, we always tithed. We always were generous with our money as best as we knew how. And there are moments when it's like slim pickings in our bank account. But at least as I'm looking back on our, on our life of marriage and family, we have never not given And we've never been in a place where we've not been provided for. We have never not given. Never. There's never been a moment, even when we were in debt, even when we had no money, even when we're having our first kid, even when life seemed to be falling apart in different circumstances from a financial standpoint, we never, ever stopped giving. But we never, ever had a moment of of like need, lack, like God always met us in that provision. Wasn't always how we expected. Maybe even it wasn't as much as we would have liked in some of those moments, but he always met us in that place. God will use your faithfulness to display his faithfulness. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. When he has your heart, he can do amazing things with it. So a couple of next steps. First is to run your personal finances through that biblical matrix and make adjustments. Uh, Next, if you want to level up, if you did get a stimulus check, give it all away. If you're part of a local church, give it to that local church, man. Every local church is hurting right now. People are losing jobs left and right. Give it to your local church. If you need it, use it. Absolutely. But if you don't need it, give it away. Give it away to someone in need in your life. Like just write them a check for 1200 bucks. If you don't need it and they do help them out, or you give it to like a, an orga, a missions organization, uh, a local organization in your city that's doing amazing work to further the kingdom, to further the gospel, whatever it is. Find someone to be generous to, find an organization to give to, give to your local church uh, and run your personal finances through this biblical matrix and see what God does through it. That's my challenge to you. See what God does. If he does nothing, man, cut that thing off and move on. 
And I can say that really boldly because I know he will produce good fruit in your life if you meet him in this place. Thanks for listening to the Anthem Daily Podcast. Today's Friday, so we're off for Saturday and Sunday, and we'll be back together again on Monday. Have an amazing weekend. Love you guys. We'll be back soon. <laughs>